You know, some days you are the windshield, and some days you're the bug. And on those days when you're the bug, it's kind of hard to believe that God is really for all. You start to wonder, is God really for you? Is God really for us? And so the message this morning is really very simple. Uh, it, it is my prayer, my hope, that when you leave today, that um, you will leave with the assurance that God is on your side, that God is with you, that God loves you. Um, I mean, this is one of the things we celebrate at Christmas. And uh, this morning, we're going to do things a little differently. Normally, I read the scripture text and then talk about it. But this morning, we're just going to kind of go through the text one verse at a time. And I'm going to talk about each verse as we go through it. Um, and one of the reasons I like to do this is because it keeps the people up in the booth awake and uh, keeps, keeps them alert. Um, you know, some days we, we, we doubt that God is really for us. Uh, you may have that doubt this morning. We, we doubt when things aren't going the way we wish they were going. We, we doubt sometimes. We worry about the future. Sometimes we feel like God has forgotten us. Sometimes we wonder if circumstances or something that we've said or done has separated us from God. And in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, here's what Paul has to say about that, beginning in verse 31. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so Paul answers our questions and our doubts with a series of questions. And, and Paul is speaking from experience because he's gone through a lot of difficult circumstances. Uh, he, he's been through these things that he talks about. Uh, John Maxwell paraphrased this verse. I heard him once say, if God is for us, everyone else might as well be. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a good way to see it. Sometimes we face opposition uh, in life. Sometimes things don't go the way we want. Sometimes there are people who make our lives difficult. Sometimes it's people we don't like. Sometimes it's people we love. And sometimes it's circumstances that frustrate us. Um, and we, we get... We, get, we start to doubt, we, we start to worry. Sometimes it's our own decisions that hurt us. But take heart, because God is for you, because God loves you. Paul goes on, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also go along with him, also along with him graciously give us all things? So how can we be so sure that God is for us? Well, Paul said, just think about it. If, if God would send his son in order to have a relationship with us, then God is pretty much all in. There, there, there isn't anything God wouldn't do. I mean, if, if Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection kind of leaves no doubt that God would do anything for us. And so Paul asks, will God not also along with him graciously give us all things? And, and that's not a, a blank check that God will give you whatever you want, whenever you want it. But it's Paul's way of saying that God graciously gives us the things that makes our lives good. 
And if you think about it this morning, what are the things God has already done for you in your life? All the things that God has already done that makes your life good. And so, uh, you know, God demonstrates that love every single day. So Paul goes to another question. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So, so God has chosen us all. God has chosen you. And so what about all the, the hurtful things we've done, the things the Bible calls sin? Um, what about all those ways that we've caused pain for other people, we've caused pain for ourselves? I mean, isn't God going to hold all those things against us? Isn't that what we've always been told, that God's going to hold all that against us? The word Paul uses here is a legal term. It's, it's used when someone brings legal charges against somebody in a court. And so Paul says, who's going to bring the charges against us for what we've done wrong? And then Paul's answer is, not God. God is the one who justifies. Now in the printing world, and even in your own computer on your word processing software, uh, there's this thing called justification. And it means that all the lines and, and you know, everything is, is lined up just the way it's supposed to be, just right. It's justified. And so when he says God justifies us, it means God is the one who helps everything in our life get lined up right, get made the way it's supposed to be. God doesn't accuse us. Paul said God justifies us. And, and you know, there are too many people who have the idea that God is some judge who is against us, who's not on our side, and one day God's going to pull out the list of charges against us and read them off and then send us off into punishment while God laughs but that's not what Paul describes here. Paul, you know, there's a lot of religious people for some reason seem to enjoy the thought of other people being punished. But God is more interested in redeeming us. And if God is more interested in justifying or redeeming us than punishing us, then Paul goes on to ask, so who is he that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So Jesus didn't come to accuse us. He came to offer us grace. So God isn't going to bring any charges against us. Jesus isn't going to accuse us. Paul paints this really interesting courtroom scene where we're standing there and we're guilty, but the prosecuting attorney doesn't show up. And the judge is on our side. And only the defense lawyers are there. And so there's no one to bring charges. No one brings charges against us. No one condemns us. Everyone there is for us. Advent is not only about celebrating the fact that at Christmas, God became flesh and came and lived among us. You know, Advent is about preparing for Christ's coming. So it also means it's a time that we think about Christ's second coming. Not only do we give thanks that Christ came before, but we, we look forward to the time when he will come again. And the Bible does teach that that is a time of judgment. And we say it every Sunday in our traditional service when we say the Apostles' Creed, from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And I know that this is different from what you've heard your whole life. And you don't have to agree with me, that's fine. But just think about this for a moment. What if we've been wrong? 
about what kind of judgment God brings? What if it's more like what Paul describes here in chapter 8? Listen to these words from a brilliant theologian, Jürgen Moltmann. Quote, Even the coming judgment of the living and the dead is a subject for hope. For who is the judge? It's the same Christ who gave himself to death for sinners and who has borne our griefs and sicknesses. What will the crucified Jesus judge us by? The law or his own gospel? Our own acts or his suffering for us? What will be the purpose of his judgment? The punishment of the wicked and the reward of the good? Or will his intention be to establish his righteousness everywhere and in every one? Will he judge us in order to annihilate us or to save us? To cast us down or raise us up? The proclamation of the coming judgment is a joyful and liberating message, not a threatening and frightening one. That is why we sing Advent hymns. End of quote. It appears that you and I are more interested and better at judging and condemning ourselves and others than God is. And so that brings us to another question Paul asks. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then the next verses, Paul gives the long answer. But the short answer is nothing. Nothing and no one can separate us from Christ's love for us. That is great news. There is no outside circumstances that can ever separate us from God's love. And even better, there's nothing inside of us. Nothing we can ever think or ever do that will ever separate us from Christ's love. And that may be the best news yet. Because most of us are our worst judge and accuser. But even that can't separate us from Christ. And then Paul, look at the things he listed. He said, a hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. And Paul had already experienced all of those things, except for the sword, which he knew was coming. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And Paul is speaking from what he's experienced. He goes on to say, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And tradition tells us that Paul was beheaded in Rome and he, could, he knew that was coming and he knew that even death could not separate him from the love of Christ. And so he goes on to, that, that in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And because Christ loves us so much we'll not just survive this life but we will actually finish as those who have overcome. 
And Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, whether in death or in life, we are wrapped up in Christ's love. And uh, the angels and demons, the battles we face, whether they're physical or spiritual, Christ will be with us and he will love us. There's no need to be anxious about tomorrow because Christ's love for us is stronger than any power we will ever face. And then the last verse, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, that pretty well sums it up. God loves you, and there is nothing you can do about it. And there is nothing that will ever change it. And that's what we celebrate. That is the hope that we baptized Davis into this morning, that he is the beloved of God. And nothing can ever change that. And that is our hope that we, that you are the beloved of God. And there is absolutely nothing that can ever change that. God is on our side. Amen.